We welcome you to the Christian Ministries Church podcast. We believe God has a message for you today that will encourage and speak truth to your heart and life. Let's join Pastor Melanie Bertolio as she shares the word with us today. Welcome to church on Father's Day. Fathers who are in the house, thank you for being in church on Father's Day. A lot of, a lot of people aren't here. Not, not, I, I don't, but the, I mean, this is a very popular day for the lake and a very popular day for the zoo and, and all these things. And, and you have prioritized being in the house of God. And so we are thankful to you that you would just lead your families in that way. Um, I'm going to get right to it uh, because I don't know how else to do it. I, I, I just really struggled over the title for this sermon today. And so the title I'm going to be preaching on is this, Fighting for Our Families. Fighting for Our Families. And in this sermon, my hope and prayer is that this isn't just a sermon either for dads or to encourage dads, but really I, I think this is a sermon that's got something in it for everybody. I mean, everyone in here is a father, a mother, or a child, and you might be a couple of those things. But you're, I mean, at least if you're nothing else, you're a child. You're someone's child. And so I think there is something in this for every single person in the room. And I want to start by saying this. I want to start by saying to dads across the globe, really, because it's just true, I'm sorry. And here's why. For the past 100 years, our American society has been bent on minimizing anything and everything that a dad, that a good dad would do. I mean, that's just where we're at in our culture. Um, We say that what you do isn't really that important. I mean, anything that a man can do, a woman can do, except that it's not true. I mean, I'm a strong, powerful woman that believes that women should, you know, do everything they can and can do. But what I'm telling you is, I can't do everything that a man can do. And a man can't do everything I can do and probably wouldn't want to. And just like I don't really want to do everything they can do. So, so we've said that, that women can do anything that men can do. We've called you sperm donors. I mean, that's, that's the term we've relegated to fathers in our culture. They're sperm donors. That's, that's their part in creating life is just to be a sperm donor. And that's just not true. That's just not true. True. We want you to be strong, but we get offended when you are. I mean, as a culture, we want you to provide. We want you to provide, but we also want you to know we don't need you. I mean, that's the culture you live in. The culture we live in doesn't make a lick of sense half the time. We, we want you to understand that we don't need you. Just donate your sperm, give us the, your money, and get out of our way, would you please? 
But that's the culture that, that, that we are living in. We want to, you to protect us, but we might prosecute you if you do. That's the world you're living in. And that's the world that dads are, are trying, that Christian fathers are trying desperately to navigate and, and it's not good. Pop culture has relegated you to a caricature. I mean, you think about it. Dads are the bumbling idiots in every show, being outwitted by the wives and the kids all the time. And do not think for one moment that that hasn't had an impact on the, on the culture that we are living in. And it, oh, it's funny. But over years and years and years, don't think that that, you know, Chapman talked on Wednesday night. I mean, we build faith on the things that we hear. That's what the Word of God says. It says faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. But faith comes by hearing. So if you hear all the time that you're unnecessary and that, that we don't really want you to be involved, eventually you build faith in that. In other words, you come to believe it. And when that's what you believe, that's how you live. And we wonder why dads are, are, are absent or detached, uninvolved. But that's the culture that we're living in. And we are not a few decades into this. We're generations into this now. Generations. You think about that. Generations of men have now come up in this way of thinking, with this outlook that culture has toward them. And, and, and so it's no wonder. It's no wonder that we have the, the, this fatherlessness in this country, and you look at the last hundred years where we have, have told women that they can be the men, and we've told men they can't be the men any longer. You look at the last hundred years of culture, and you, I mean, you figure it out. Being a good dad by biblical standards isn't noble anymore. It isn't considered to be profitable for our society anymore. There was a day in time when it was, it was kind of a big deal that dads would train their children up in the way of the Lord. But it isn't anymore, not to the culture. So there, there's a long line of dads throughout this country who have fallen short perhaps even been completely absent in their duties, and they just haven't done what they should have done. And I'm not trying to excuse that, but I want us to see why. I want us to understand the why behind it, because until we understand the why behind it, we can't and won't do anything about it. And in our culture, it is going to take the Christian people to stand up, and you're, yeah. you're beginning to see it a little bit, but I'm telling you, it's going to take more. It's going to take more. Statistically, because of the numbers of people in this room, I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to be straight up, there's some good dads in here and there's some bad ones. There's just too many of you in here. 
So there's some good ones and there's some bad ones. Now, good and bad according to what? Because, because there are a lot of people who are good dads according to the world's standards and are terrible dads because their children are going to live in hell one day. But man, they, they're fun dads. They, they, their kids get all the stuff. They have all the fun. Their dads love them. They, 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 they have great relationship with their dads. But their dads are failing in the one area that really matters. And then there are dads in here who are good dads according to biblical standards. But they might not look like the best dads according to the world's standards. So so when we talk about good and bad dads, I don't it doesn't even really matter to me because it it all is is based upon what your standard is. And the fact of the matter is, I don't want what the world is producing. And so our standard, I mean, it's, it sounds obvious, but it should be the word of God when it comes to the standard that we have for fathers in our culture. Um, in Genesis 2, 24, it says that a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And, and the fact of the matter is you can't separate fatherhood from marriage, biblically speaking. Now, culturally, you can most definitely do that. But biblically speaking, the the family, the husband and the wife, are the framework that God set up to raise a family. Now, this is not condemnation for anybody who's not living in that framework, okay? Because there is is mercy, there's grace um, over poor decisions that we've made. Um, over wrong decisions that we've made. There's mercy and grace for that. But the fact of the matter is that, that a husband and wife is the framework that God set up. And that's the, the framework that works best. Did God set it up because he's on some big power trip and he's narcissistic and he loves to tell us what to do? No, he set it up that way because it is what works and is best for us and for our children. And it's what will continue to, to, to propagate generations of people who follow God. And God's way is just the best way but we live in a society that wants to celebrate everyone and everything to the point that we've devalued what god established in the garden as the core of civilization the core of civilization is the family paul prophesied that in the last days before christ returns that people would become lovers of themselves and we live in a country uh, where that is one of the truest statements you could make about the culture. Is that people are such lovers of themselves. They don't trust in God anymore. They trust themselves. There's a, a word, a couple of words for, for that. We, we are being governed by people who would fall into a category called secular humanists. And people who are secular humanists believe that morality is a social construct that evolves over time. In other words, we create morality. It doesn't come from any other place, but human beings create morality. 
and it can evolve over time. So what, what was, was not moral a hundred years ago can shift and become moral over time. What was immoral a hundred years ago can shift, become moral, but the reverse is true also. And so, so you've got to understand that, that God has, is completely left out of the equation. And you've got people who are ruling in this country who say they are Christians, but they live life like secular humanists who believe that they... they I mean, that's the way professing Christians can vote for abortion, can vote to euthanize the elderly and the defective people that they don't think are worthy to breathe air. It's those people who uh, will, will say that it is okay for children to mutilate themselves and to be shot up with all kinds of, uh, of junk that uh, is going, we don't even know what it's going to do to them in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. How in the world can we be where we are where people have no moral standard outside of themselves? And it, it truly is a, a, a world where if it feels good and right to you, it's okay and it's got to be okay with everybody else. See, I, I, I don't just get to decide what's right for me but I get to decide what's right for all of you too. And that's, again, the world we're living in. But Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, he said this. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people who will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. It says stay away from people like that. Now, let me just say this. We were once in that group. We were once enemies of God. And so when I'm talking about what's going on in the world, don't think for a minute that I'm not saying we need to be, be talking to these very people and evangelizing these people who are living their life like that. Because here's why. They're going to hell if we don't. However... What I'm telling you is this. There will always be people like that. Always be people like that. And so we've got to learn to stand up in the culture where people are living in debauchery. It is disgusting what people are okay with these days. And we've got to be able to stand up and say, no, I will not approve of that each one of us hopefully gave up lordship over our own life and we gave that lordship to 
Jesus Christ. Okay, we transferred that. We were the Lord over our own lives at one point in time, but we each have given that up. And in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, it says, uh, I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out the stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So while it is our goal to evangelize people who, who are, are living in depravity so that they can have this new heart, We've got to know that those people are always going to be around. And those, for those people, it doesn't matter what God says. Whatever God says, they're always going to be striving against it and perverting it. Why? Because they are motivated by the spirit of Antichrist who is real in this generation of people. And I am telling you right now, we've got to be able to stand up against that. We are pro-Christ. And we are going to stand against the spirit of Antichrist that is driving all of this nonsense. Um, Our culture doesn't celebrate loving, devoted husbands who lead their families, who protect and provide for their families, who discipline their children according to the word of God. Now, we do celebrate homosexual families with two dads or two moms. We celebrate that. But that's a counterfeit. That's a perversion of God's plan. But we, we live in a culture that celebrates what God hates. God created family. And he assigned the roles. It's not just that he created male and female. He created the family and he assigned the roles. And I'm going to wade off into it because I think I should. (laughs) Ephesians 5, starting in verse verse 15, says this. It says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every... Okay, I want to back up. Let me just, before we, we really read this. Okay, there is, we're getting ready to um, start in verse 21. That's when we start to talk about families. That's usually where we start is verse 21 because it says, further submit to one another, and then it talks to the husbands and the wives and the, and, and the kids. Okay, but I've backed us up a little bit, and here's why. Because in the original, there are no chapters and verse numbers. It was all together, and I want us to get context. So as I read these first 15 through 20, I want you to think about that in the context of family, of marriage, okay? Now, let's start again. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, we're going on to chapter 6, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now we're stopping there because then it goes on to talk about slaves, which really is talking about people who work for you, not necessarily slaves. But um, but let's just let's just talk for a moment. This is not a popular passage of scripture to read in a lot of circles, um, and here's why. I, I, I mean, most days I wake up and and, and if. Rick said, did you make coffee? I want to just say, well, you're not the boss of me. (laughs) Why? Because that's just my nature. I don't want someone telling me what to do. And for me to to actually say, I'm supposed to, I don't want any part of that. Submit? (laughs) You're kidding, right? You, You do know me, right? The only problem with it is it's just the Bible and it's just the God of the universe who's speaking through a man and he says to do it. I don't like it. Wives, submit to your husbands. But right there it is. I'd love to just take that chunk out, select, cut, delete. It's not popular. Why? Because we live in a world that says, follow your heart, do what makes you happy, create your own path. But God says, follow my heart, do what makes me happy, let me direct your path. So when, when I'm trying to follow my heart, create my own path, and do what makes me happy, it's great except that I'm in complete and total rebellion against God. Now, here's what I will say. God gives instruction to every member of the family in that passage I just read to you. Every member of the family 
gets a little talking to. The first one says, submit to each other. That's all of us. That's me not making a decision that could hurt one of you, that could mislead one of you. That's you not doing the same thing because it could mislead me. That's all of us submitting to one another. Why? Because we love each other and we belong to the same family. So I can't, I can't choose to do things just because that's just the way I am. And if you are a person who just says, well, they know me, that's just the way I am, you need to stop it. Because everything's not about you. Knock it off. It says submit to one another. So that's all of us. We submit to one another. And to the wives, he says this. He says, you submit to your husband. And he also says something else. He said, and you respect your husband. Well, I sure will as soon as he deserves it. As soon as he's earned some of it. Except that, that's not what it says. It doesn't say, except anywhere in there. There are no caveats. You do this unless. And I don't want to hear you don't know my husband. Because the fact of the matter is, I don't have to. God says to respect your husband. Really sorry. But that is what it says. <laughs> Husbands, it says that you are supposed to love your wives like Christ loves the church. And, and Christ laid down his life for the church. He sacrificed everything for the church. When pastor talks about giving up hobbies... That was a sacrifice. There was nothing easy about that. We all have things we want to do. I got stuff I want to do. Yeah. Wow. So good. But the fact of the matter is to sacrifice means that it hurts. And we've got, we've got husbands and wives that the moment something hurts, oh, we're just done. Oh, wow. We're just done. And that's not God's design for a family, things hurt. Sacrifice, that's sort of implied. So husbands, you've got to love your wives in a way that hurts sometimes. That means, okay, I, I told her she's got to respect you even when you maybe aren't acting in a way that you deserve that. But you, you husbands are being called to, to sacrifice for a wife who isn't showing you the respect that you think you deserve. And it's not a sacrifice if you gripe about it the whole time. Just throwing that out there too. <laughs> Children. Children. 
Obey your parents. Obey your parents. Not because you don't want a whooping. That's a good reason. I mean, that's the point of when you're little. But not because you don't want to get in trouble. But because you just love them so stinking much, you don't want to disappoint them. Because their plans for you are good, just like our, our Father God's plans for us are good. See, I love the verse, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That's God's plan for me, but that's my, my plans for my own children. And so, so when I'm asking for obedience out of my kids, it's not because I am narcissistic and on some power trip. It's because I love them so much and I want what's best for them. And so children, obey your parents. And that, that also means even if they're distant, even if they seem detached, even if you think they're mean, even if they don't do things the way... I'm talking about dads. Think about fathers. A lot of people have grown up with that type of a father, but what I'm telling you is it doesn't give you an option. You obey them because God tells you to obey them. And when we don't, wives, when we do not submit to our husbands, what I'm telling you is we're not sinning against our husbands. We're sinning against God. Husbands, when you don't love your wives sacrificially, you're not sinning against your wife. You're sinning against God. Children, when you don't honor your parents and when you don't obey your parents, you're not sinning against your parents. You're sinning against God. And that's not something our culture likes to say. But I'm telling you right now, you want to live the God kind of life, you better get a hold of what God says about the roles that we each play within a family. And God's way is the best way. And I know that this is something that, that people could take to the ditch because nobody is saying stay in, a, in an abusive situation where you are, are in danger. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that what's been done to you is okay if you had a, a, a bad situation. Sometimes, sometimes honoring someone is just keeping your mouth shut about what they did. I mean, if that's all you can do to honor them, be grateful that they created you, And then just keep your mouth shut. I know. It, it, it doesn't feel right. But the fact is that the, the word says there's a way that seems right. But in the end leads to destruction. And I've never seen anybody who just, who just dwelled on and lived in that place where all they could talk about is what's been done wrong to them. I've never seen that person prosper. So sometimes we honor just by keeping our mouth shut. And ladies, I'm just going to throw this out there because this is Father's Day. And I really want us, ladies, I want to teach us something that's important. You can be a strong, powerful, opinionated woman who still impacts decisions in, within her family and submit to your husband. You can do that. It's hard to give someone final say. 
But there are just times when that's brought me great freedom. Because I'm not going to be me that gets blamed. (laughs) Oh, man. But we talk so much about fathers and and who who don't fulfill their responsibilities as fathers. Um, But we haven't, we've done nothing to incentivize them to do it. We just, we do everything we can to make fathers in this culture feel like they're unnecessary, like they are nothing but brutes and, and, and they don't think right, they don't act right, and they just need to get out of our way. Give us your money, give us, you know, your protection, and then just stay out of our way. And that is not God's way. Um, Father's Day, I want to honor our fathers in this church. And I think the way we do that is for us not to constantly hold Ephesians 5 up in front of them and say, you're supposed to be loving me and you're supposed to sacrifice for me. But to hold it up in front of ourselves, wives and children. Quit waiting for the other person to do what God told them to do before you do what God told you to do. So we could sit on a lot of this for a while, but I want to move on. You know, there are only around 15 times in the Old Testament where the word father is used to reference God. I didn't realize that. I mean, the, the word is used a lot. But there's about roughly 15 references to God in the Old Testament. And you know, almost every one of them is used to reference him as creator God. He's not referenced as a personal father. Uh, the only, only, only a couple of times where he is in Isaiah, Isaiah uh, refers to him uh, as father and it's, it's a personal father. But then... Um, In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is is speaking to uh, the people and he is speaking on behalf of God. And and God says this through Jeremiah. He said, I looked forward to your calling me father and I wanted you never to turn from me. And you know, when I hear that, I think, wow, that reveals the heart of God. You know, we can look at that Old Testament and go, man, God's never really referred to as an intimate, close father figure. But he says right here, I really looked forward to you calling me father. And I didn't ever want you to turn away from me. And then it goes on to talk about how they had turned completely away from him. But here's what's super cool. is in the New Testament, it's different. There are 150 times roughly, where Jesus calls God Father, his Father. But there are 30 times where Jesus calls God our Father. And God is the ultimate Father, isn't he? He's perfect. He loves perfectly. He corrects perfectly. He comforts, protects. He provides perfectly. He's just perfect. And we don't have to help him be a good dad, do we? We don't have to help him be a good father. He just is. 
And wouldn't it just be nice if all the dads in this room could just be like God and just be the perfect father and just be the, the man that we want them to be? Well, here's the deal. Here's what I can tell you is if they become the man we want them to be, there's a really good chance they aren't going to be the godly father that God wants them to be because we're selfish. We're selfish. But we don't have to help God be a good father. But the truth is the fathers in this room need help. Not because they're stupid. Not because they're inept, incapable. But because we all do. I need help to be a good mom. And I think it's really important that we recognize that, that, that fathers are not God. They need help. They need encouragement. They need forgiveness. They need support. And they need to know that we are fully confident in their ability to be a good father. Even if we're really not. But, the, but it, it does something. When I believe someone believes in me, it changes the way I operate. It changes how I behave. And so dads need to believe that we're confident in them. And I believe every dad in this room wants to be a good dad. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. But I also believe a lot of you in here are just winging it. I mean, I'm just saying, I, I'm not saying that to be, that's not a, necessarily a negative. It's just that we don't always know what to do, how to do it, when to do it, why we're doing it. And so if it feels like the right thing, we kind of do it. And sometimes that can be right. And sometimes it's not. Um, but, you know, you want to be a godly dad. I believe that. But you just don't know how beyond bringing your kids to church and teaching them not to smoke and drink and cuss. And some of you are trying to teach them that while you're still smoking and drinking and cussing. That's not a slam, but it's just we've got to get to the place where we, we quit striving to be the man that God wants to help us to be. Most dads try to be a good dad based on their personal experience, which means they either try to emulate a dad they thought was a great dad or they try to do something as far away from what their dad did, but they do it based on experience. And the problem with that is that's not biblical. God teaches us how to be a good dad. And the fact of the matter is, is we've got to love sacrificially and we've got to train our children up according to the word of God. And so uh, if, if, if you try it for a while to be just like a dad or you try to not be at all like a, a dad because of your personal experience, you usually figure out that doesn't work. And then you start trying to be the God you or the dad you think God wants you to be. without ever really going to the Word of God and without talking to God and finding out what kind of dad he wants you to be. Um, as dads come to know the Lord and grow in the Lord, um, God will teach you how to be a good dad. Um, there's a lot of people out there um, who can say, I had, have a great dad. But there's a lot of people who can't. I 
I can say I have a great dad. My dad is here today. And um, I, I have a great dad. When I was eight years old in my, my bedroom, my dad led me to the Lord. When I was 11 years old, my dad was at the altar with me when I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I have a great dad. And I think every dad in this room wants to, their children to say, I have a great dad. And I think most of the failure that men experience is just because they're not quite sure how to do it. And I, I just want to teach you something today. I'm, I'm backing up. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, honor and obey your parents. Dads, I want to give you something today besides loving sacrificially that I think could just really help you. Um, and how many times, how many times have you heard, just read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And I do not want to minimize the power of the word of God. It is life to me. It is life to me. So please do not hear that I'm not telling you, or that I'm telling you not to read your Bibles. But what I am telling you is this. You need to be led by the Spirit of God. You need to be led by the Spirit of God. And you would say, well, that's wonderful, Mel. Thank you for that tidbit of information. I've only been trying that for 30 years, 40 years, whatever it happens to be. But I just want to just break this down so simply um, because it's so important. Um, you got to be led by the Spirit of God. And the way that you are led by the Spirit of God is you talk to Him. Now, in, in the Christian world, we call that praying. But don't, don't think about it that way. Because that's just become this word. And, 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 and it conjures up these ideas of how it ought to be done. And what I'm telling you is, is talk. Men, talk to your father. See, when our boys need to know how to do something with their, their trucks, you know, and we got a few of them. Because um, that seems to be their... Their hobby is just collecting things that sit in our yard. But, um, <laughs> but when they have something that, need, that isn't working properly, they go and they, they ask their dad for help. You know why? They don't know anything about what's wrong with it. They don't know what to do. They can't identify the real source of the problem. They come in and they say, it's doing this, but Rick can say, yeah, but this is why. See, they go to their father to find out the source of the problem that they're having because they really don't even know what that is. And then he's able to give them a solution that actually works. See, they might have been out there with the hood up, tinkering around on it for three days. And nothing's changed. But when they figure out the source of the problem and get some instruction on how to do it because they've had gone to a father who loves them, who's waiting for them to come and ask for help so that he can give them 
what they need, suddenly it changes everything. And so what I'm telling you, men, is this. you got to talk to the Father. And before I'm going to tell you, you need to get your Bible out every morning and you need to read every day. You need to set aside 30 minutes and you need to read that Bible. What I'm telling you is start with talk to your Father. And if you give Him 10, 15 minutes of undisturbed time, wholly devoted time, where you're not driving in the car and you're singing along to the radio and kind of thinking about some things that you're, you're pondering and, and, and periodically saying, what do you think about that, God? No, I'm talking about, about time that is wholly devoted to talking to God. Start with five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is. But when you begin to do that and you do that over time, you'll be drawn to the Word of God. You won't have to make yourself sit down every day and read it. It will be something that you are drawn to. It doesn't, it's not a chore anymore. It's not a one more thing that you've got on the list of all the things you have to do that day. It's the thing you can't wait to do because it's going to give you the answers that you need. But until you develop that intimate relationship with your father, you won't really be drawn to his, his word. Spend time in his presence. Romans 8.14 says that all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And i got to tell you, being an English teacher is pretty convenient when it comes to this verse. And y'all are going to love this because we're going to have like a one and a half minute English lesson. But um, the word are, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are, that are, because there's two of them, but that are, are children of God. That's a um, state of being verb for those of you who didn't know that. And what a state of being verb does is it states the way things be so it acts like it acts like an equal sign in a sentence so whatever is on one side of the the word are is equal to what's on the other side of the word are so when it says all who are led by the spirit of god equals children of god Okay, so think about it that way. And some of you go, well, I must not be a child of God because I am not, I, I, I don't think I'm being led by the Spirit of God. No, if, you are, if you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, flip that sentence around the other way. If you're a child of God, you are led by the Spirit of God. Now, you may not be a great follower. <laughs> But he is leading you. He's giving you opportunity to be led. So, so men, do not mistake that God isn't leading you. That he's leading other people, but he's not leading you. No, you're not following well. But today's your day. You can start. Um, so, talk to your father. Three times in the New Testament, there's an Aramaic word for father that is used, and it's Abba. Or if you look it up and have them pronounce it for you, it's Abba. But um, I'll say Abba because that's what I've grown up hearing. But it's used three times in Mark 14, Romans 10, and Galatians 4. And it's a term 
you, some of you may have heard this, uh, that, that it's another way, uh, it, it's equal to the term that we use in our culture, daddy. I'm going to back you off of that because I don't really think that is true based on what I've studied. Now, it is a word that children in that culture used for their fathers, but it wasn't only used by children in that day and time. And it also, it, 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 it's an intimate term, okay? But Paul actually had access to words that did mean daddy. He didn't use the, that. He used the word Abba. And Abba does, it means father, but it, it goes beyond that. It means father who I will obey, okay? Father who I will obey. And I pray that today, God is not just your father, but he's Abba father to you. In Galatians 4.4, 4, it says, When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. In the natural and the supernatural, you are first a child. I want you to think about that. You are first a child. But many of us getting saved as adults and you've got, got a family around you, you're a, you're a child, spiritually speaking, but you're still having to act as a father figure spiritually speaking, and in the natural, without having been reared up by your father. And so we have an expectation of dads that, man, you've been to church for three weeks now? Okay, well, you should have it all together. I mean, honestly, you've been, literally, I've been seeing you for like three years now. So you should be doing a lot better than you are. Except that, think about that. Think about that. We would never expect a three-year-old child to act like an adult. And I'm not saying God has an ability, the Holy Spirit has an ability to ramp up that, that process of maturation. So I'm not saying it takes as long as it does to grow up as a child before you begin to act like an adult Christian. But what I am saying is, moms, we've got to cut some dads some slack when they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And they're doing well just to get their families here on, to church on Sunday morning. Let's quit setting an expectation that is not just, just personal, but kind of impossible. We put these, these things on people that discourage, that make people feel like failures. And I think one of the ways we do that with dads is we just have this expectation that there's just no way they can live up to. 
and they do something once well, and we have the expectation that that's the way it'll be from now on. And we, we can't allow for mistakes and for, for, for stepping back. And, you know, we're, we're not happy with two steps forward and one step back. Well, you know what? You do two steps forward and one step back for a while, you're still farther ahead than you were. We've got to give grace to the fathers in this room. Some of you, as I'm talking, you're thinking about adult children that you can't do anything about right now. But here's what you can do. You can pray over them and you can ask God to, to, to give grace over your poor parenting, over your bad decisions, over the things that you can't go back and fix now. But you have to talk to him long enough to realize that he loves you desperately. That he loves you so very much that he doesn't want you living under condemnation. You're not ever going to be who God wants you to be as long as you are living under this umbrella of condemnation that you yourself have raised up and carrying around with you. So we've got to talk to our Father. Shelby, I'm going to have you go ahead and come up. And prayer team, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come up. Here's what I want you to hear. Fathers, you've got to talk to God. And I know, because I've been in this long enough, I know that there are some of you going, I just don't even know how to do that. I don't even know what to pray. And we were handing out some bookmarks that are intended to help you. Those prayers out of Ephesians, I read those prayers every day for years until I was able to get the idea of those prayers into my heart. And now I can pray those without needing to read them. But I read them. You've been given some prayers that you could just read. Dads, I want you to learn how to pray for your families. How to plead the blood of Jesus over your family. And when you do that, when you say, God, I just plead the blood of Jesus over my family. What you are doing is you are acknowledging that the blood of Jesus was not just for salvation so that you wouldn't go to hell when you die, but it's so that you could live the life that God wants you to live here, that you might be able to bring the kingdom of heaven down to this earth, that you would attract others to you because of that, and that we would fill heaven up. So dads, you, when you plead the blood of Jesus, you're drawing a bloodline around your family and you're saying, I know that blood is enough. I know your blood is enough to protect me, to, to protect what you've entrusted to me as the father and the head of my home. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.